Alright, well let's open our time together um, in God's Word this morning with a turning to our uh, Savior God in prayer. Almighty, gracious God, we do thank you for this day that you've created. We thank you for blessing us with rain to water and nurture the earth. As we see this morning in Habakkuk, the knowledge of the glory of God indeed will cover the earth like the waters. We ask that this morning you would give us glimpses of the knowledge of that glory. We confess our sin and how we so often read your word, that we read it quickly, that we read it as a task to be completed and checked off, but not something upon which we feed a living word that nourishes us and gives us understanding of who you really are. We thank you for the words of your prophet, for this vision that you gave your servant Habakkuk, which he faithfully recorded as you instructed him, that he put it on tablets and proclaimed it to the ends of the earth. Lord God, as we read uh, these pronouncements of woe upon others, we ask that you would uh, open our eyes to see our own arrogance, our own violence, our own sinfulness against other men, and ultimately against you, our God. We, like these Chaldeans, so often glory in our shame. But we thank you that you have clothed our shame with the glory of Jesus Christ and that you see us through him and it's by him that we are made righteous give us eyes to see your righteousness displayed through our living word and savior Jesus Christ through the words of the prophet Habakkuk this we pray Amen if you'll open with me to the prophet Habakkuk you have the Cart Bible. It's on page 785. Last week we just looked at the first few verses of uh, chapter 2. We saw the beginning of God's reply to Habakkuk's second complaint. And we see that command for him to inscribe this vision that uh, to enjoy patient to God's prophet, but also expectation that this will happen. Wait for it. It will surely come. And then most of our time last week was uh, looking at this, uh, probably the most famous passage of Habakkuk, this uh, in verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith. But in particularly last week we contrasted how um, God's putting forth uh, this phrase, setting it against uh, these arrogant Um, whose souls are puffed up, and that because they are self-exalting, they are not upright. So let me read. I'm going to start in verse 2 just to to get back to the beginning of God's response and read through the end of the chapter. So Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run... Who reads it? For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. 
it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And now beginning the section we'll particularly be looking at this morning. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink and pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes his speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So, here we have a series of five pronouncements of woe. Um, And we're going to look at each one. Each one focuses on a different set of characteristics and and tweaks the the uh, tweaks the pronouncement of judgment in an ironic way against those specific characteristics. But before we look at each um, each woe in turn, I wanted to start just by um, asking the general question: To whom are these woes addressed? Upon whom are these woes being pronounced? 
Okay, those who are not following God. So, uh, general pronouncements of woe. Uh, Chaldeans, why would you say Chaldeans specifically, Doug? Yeah, we've had the Chaldeans being uh, in the first God's first response being spoken of as being the ones who are going to rise up. Right, they're not named. And I, I, that's what I, I think, um, that's why I think we should pay attention to the fact they're not named specifically. I think you're exactly right. They're being spoken of because as we look, even though they're not named specifically, we're getting characteristics of them described in all the woes. We see these, um, the people who these woes are being pronounced, uh, upon whom these woes are being pronounced, uh, are doing things on a national level. Um, Absolutely. The, this picture here of uh, not naming them specifically and in fact framing the woes that are directed against the Chaldeans. Again, as we see from the description we're giving, we're, we're seeing empire builders, we're seeing conquerors of nations, idolaters, but they're being given in a general proverbial form. Uh, it's... Uh, this section is very much like wisdom literature. Uh, do this and you'll die. Do this and you'll live kind of um, presentation of wisdom. So that's something to keep in mind. Here we, we have the, the ungodly and specifically the haughty and arrogant condemned generally, but the Chaldeans specifically. So here we're given five prophetic wisdom statements pronouncing woe upon these Chaldeans. And notice how in verse 6 it's not just meant to judge but to mock. Shall not these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him? So this entity, this empire that we had seen earlier in chapter 1 that mocks and scoffs at kings and other peoples. They themselves will be subject to scoffing. They'll be subject to mockery. Um, as we'll see in, in this, these woes, the idea of reciprocity is involved. The judgment is reciprocal. It's connected to the actions. So just as the Chaldeans mocked, so they will be mocked. These nations, uh, or this nation that's been bullied, been the bully, will be bullied. It's poetic justice in a sense. Poetic justice pronounced upon Israel's oppressors and by analogy all the arrogant who act like them. So let's look at them in turn. So first, uh, this one that starts in the second part of verse 6 and goes through verse 8. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you've plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth 
to cities and all that dwell in them. So what characteristic is being denounced or judged in verses 6 through 8? And what fate befalls those who possess this characteristic? So what specifically is woe being pronounced upon? Andy. Yeah, this extensive plundering. We might think, uh, if we're trying to, to label this particular, we might say, woe to the plunderer. What else jumps out uh, as a characteristic? So, here we have excessive plundering. Yeah, this, the, the way their excessive greed is um, compared to a debtor who's heaping upon himself, you know, getting deeper and deeper in debt, going on a spending spree, taking pledges, saying, oh yeah, I'm going to pay it back, and, um, but n- never intending to. Um, so it's in their plunder, they're heaping, it's as if they're heaping up an enormous debt. That they couldn't possibly repay. Yeah, that they're um, they're creditors. So if this this plundering is um, is digging a hole of debt, their creditors are going to come. And um, it's interesting the the root word for creditor. This is something I learned this week. Um, the root word in Hebrew means to bite. Isn't that a great picture of 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 a creditor, <laughs> you know, creditor, yeah, he loans you money, and then he's going to take a bite out of your possession. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not just sort of, yeah, I'll give you five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> the loan shark will come and get his bite. Yeah, we have a similar kind of, that's, I didn't even think of that, Andy. We have a similar um, language, or similar language in our, in English. But so here we have these Chaldeans who've made themselves glorious and exalted themselves on what the prophet here is describing as borrowed riches. But a day of reckoning will come and the remnant of the nations that have plundered will come and they'll take their bite, their cut. And to sort of emphasize how how Habakkuk is framing this in a way that's very much like um, proverbial wisdom. Uh, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, and I'll look at three instances where we have a very similar kind of wisdom saying. So the first of these is in Proverbs chapter 13. So here um, in 13 verse 11, we have this emphasis on um, wealth that's gained quickly or hastily. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Um, 22 is another one of these type statements. So Proverbs 22 verse 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So there you see the irony. They're 
oppressing the poor to increase their own wealth, but the judgment upon them will be increasing their own poverty. And then uh, a final one of these, Proverbs 28, verse 8. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who's generous to the poor. So here this idea that someone is gathering wealth for themselves but by oppressing the poor, by plundering the poor, but they themselves aren't going to get to enjoy what they've plundered. It will go to someone else. And notice um, how in in verse 7, the word suddenly, uh, will not your debtors suddenly arise? The suddenly is really emphatic um, in this passage. And it's the idea that God has shown patience and long-suffering toward repeated acts of cruelty, but the day of reckoning will come quickly. The arrogant must never presume that God's mercies will continue any longer than the present moment. And notice, um, before we move to the next one, notice the irony here. It's, It's these nations that have plundered many people. So because you've plundered many nations, verse 8, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. So that reciprocity, you've plundered them, your judgment will be for them to plunder you. Those that have taken other nations as the spoil of war will themselves be spoiled. Anything else strikes you about or jumps out at you about this this first section? Yes. Yeah, and now he's, you know, he's having to get a count and they're literally plundering his however many million dollar apartment building. And that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, one thing to, to say about um, these woes that are being pronounced, notice that they're all taking place in time. So it's not um, a final, I mean it, it might anticipate a final woe and day of judgment. But here specifically, um, they're saying you will be judged, You're, this empire will be judged in this world. So it's a, a judgment coming to um, coming to, to fruit in our time and space. So it's not the sort of, oh, they'll get theirs you know, in some far-off eternity by and by. But God is going to judge this empire here and now. And that they are going to be despoiled in this life. It's not, they'll ultimately be judged, and this anticipates that, but this judgment is going to fall on them in this life. There will be a day of reckoning. A literally day.
an enormous scale. Yeah, and we'll see that um, to just sort of jump ahead to uh, um, you know the third woe really sort of emphasizes that sort of rise and fall of civilizations. Um, you know, builders of cities they built their empire on iniquity, and the city, all this labor they've put into it, it's going to be burned with fire. It's all going to be a vanity, an emptiness. Um, so uh, you're you're exactly right. It's that um, you know. History teaches us this, but it's the way um, God's word is putting that human history in a particular frame of reference, as we'll see, especially in that third woe, that it's not just the ordinary passage of time, but um, these things cannot stand in the presence of a glorious God. Yeah. Yeah, and um, some people, uh, again, sort of not the Chaldeans are not specifically named. Some people can see the reign of Jehoiakim um, in here. So he's he's speaking. Yeah, those Chaldeans, but. You've built your cities on plunder. You're building palaces based on oppression and exploitation. So it's things Israel's doing at the current time, too. Uh, So um, you're precisely right to point us to that idea of, um, you know, we see these same characteristics in Israel throughout those those works of history. So, and again, I think that's why... Um, the vision is being presented in those, yes, it's, you, we can see from the context it's specifically re- referring to the Chaldeans, but it's being presented as wisdom literature that applies to all people, all nations, in all times and places. Which again, sort of, um, as an American historian, really you know, opens my eyes to how this nation is going to be judged as we think of how much of its wealth and prosperity has been built on, you know, from my section of the country, how much of that wealth that was generated in the American South was generated from exploitation of slave labor. Um, To just sort of be one obvious example, there are other numerous ones I could point to. But to think how often our civilization that, you know, I love it, I don't want to be a uh, subject to any other nation, I'm very happy with the freedoms I have in this land, but I also have to be conscious of... Um, uh, the exploitation that is often given the room for those freedoms to exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Or to think of uh, another example, I always think of is you know we we you know, Andrew Carnegie's name is plastered over how many um, you know, things for the public good, but then we look at how he actually you know amassed the wealth to give away all that money. 
Um, so you know, he exploited all these poor laborers to amass his own wealth. That then he gets a, a good reputation, but he gets it away. But when we start looking, where does money come from? <laughs> Not so. <laughs> Puts a different spin on the charity. All right, well, let's turn to our second woe. So, um, verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. So what characteristic is being um, highlighted here in verses 9 through 11? What characteristic is woe being pronounced upon? Mike. Yeah, that they're this dishonest gain. And, and the... What purpose? So, I, it, so it's, we get that, um, you know, evil gain, dishonest gain. Um, what purpose is that gain specifically being put to here? Yeah, building a house. And uh, there could be a, a word place, and we have sort of the same house in English. We can talk about house as a physical dwelling, but we can also speak of house as... Uh, you know, a lineage. So, you know, I mean, we talk about the house of David, not just referring to David himself, but David and all his offspring. Um, so the house here can be thought of evil gain for to build up his physical uh, residence to be glorious, but we'll see it's really shameful. But it also can be used in that sense, building up his house um, for. Uh, his present living conditions and the, the prosperity of his offspring into the future. So it, we can think of house in sort of those two different ways. But yeah, it's building up of this house. And notice the comparison that Habakkuk uh, applies here. To set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. So lightening what they're doing to eagles that build their nest on these inaccessible rocky outcroppings because... There they'll be safe. There no predators will be able to get to them. And that's the way these people are employing their wealth to sort of create this security for themselves. That they are going to be, they use this uh, this deceitful, evil plunder that Mike pointed us to and they're using it to advance their own uh, security for themselves and their offspring. Yeah, that this isn't, oh, you know, we didn't mean to do that. It was sort of incidental. But it's that purposeful intent to destroy these other peoples, cut off many peoples. And then, again, notice the ironic judgment that's attached to that. By cutting off many peoples, so a lot of this, you'll notice, it sort of has um, parallel, parallelism built in. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. So it's... Um, you know, their action has led to the result, which is the ironic. What they've done to other people is befalling them. 
Yeah, and Yeah, to think of him can be collective, you know, referring to a royal we or, you know, a royal him, you know, him, i.e. the Chaldeans. But again, the, the way that um, this is being so um, crafted so masterfully that, you know, it, it speaks to us as individuals, it speaks to us collectively on numbers, numerous levels. And notice how the houses themselves, I really like verse 11. Um, This one really um, stuck out to me this week. That the the fruit of their their dishonesty, their deceit, their evil gain testifies against them. So they've created these houses to give them security, to give their house to, to protect them. And it's their house that they've constructed cries out the beam from the woodwork response it's their this physical thing they've created speaks against them Mike Yeah, this arrogant attitude, uh, part of that, he's sort of tracing out what does it mean, I think, and sort of focusing on these different attitudes and that self-reliance, trust in self for for the future. So they've amassed this ill-gotten gain. They've created this great wealth, and that's what they put their future hope in. That's what's going to keep them secure. And, you know, as the prophet's saying here, it's, it's that you know, is, ends up being the source of your judgment. You know, what you've amassed will come back and judge you. Mary. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and it's building, I think, to, um, to this third one where it's, um, just to jump to verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Um, so it's uh, this, what's going on isn't just, um, okay, these people did wrong, they're being judged. And then the people that judge them, they did wrong, so they're being judged. There's, so there's that going on. 
So he's, he's saying, yes, don't worry, they're going to get theirs. But uh, part, the other part of his answer is a, a bigger narrative, that what's taking place is the knowledge of the glory of God is going to be covering the earth. So um, there's, again, he's, he's putting them on a bigger um, uh, projection of time. And sort of, there's something big going on. And that big thing is God's glory covering the earth. But you're right. Uh, and I'm glad you pointed us back to... So his answer to the question of, of, of you know, what's going on? How can you use these evil people? You know, part of that is, well, uh, it's not by our works that we're... We have rightness before God, so we sort of have that orientation. Another part is, don't worry, you know, it, you might think it's slow, but they're going to get crushed too. <laughs> they're going to be judged. But then, even uh, you know, underline that is this idea of um, God's glory is being extended on earth, and that these kinds of things um, can't stand long. In the face of that glory. All right, well, let's move to the third one. Um, so, verses 12 through 14, and I've touched on this one a couple of times already. But, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So here, um, as I mentioned earlier, it's you know we have this civilization building, city building. Um, we won't turn there, but if we were to look back and sort of look at the history of the development of cities as it's narrated in the Old Testament, um, does anybody just off the top of your head know who's the first person in the in the scriptures, who's called the founder of a city? Cain. <laughs> so our, our first uh, our first creator of the urban sphere is Cain. I'm not saying we all have to go out and be agrarians, but something to think about. <laughs> what is it about city life? But um, and particularly here, this sort of uh, putting forth towns and cities. It's it's speaking of uh, if we we're to go forward, we'd see the found Nimrod being the founder of the Babylonian, the old Babylonian empire, um, the Tower of Babel being this other city, cities being created as testimonies to man's glory. And here, um, specifically, building a town with blood, so we're speaking of the manner in which towns and civilizations are created. So, I don't know if it's ironic to Cain, I, I think he's what he's um, addressing there is, um, forced labor. So um, you're building your city on the bloody backs of someone else. Um, it's that kind of, of picture. Yeah. And and didn't just take, all right, we, we want this piece of land. Um and we're going to build something on it, and you have to build it for us. I mean, it's that kind of... I mean, again, and to go back to something George mentioned earlier, the Chaldeans aren't the only ones doing this. We see this in Israel. You know, with Solomon, 
yes, he's building the temple, but he's also building all these other things based on forced labor of other people. And, you know, when when his, the fight over the succession comes about, it, you know, why is, um, why is Jeroboam um, successful in his revolt? It's called people are being sick of being exploited um, in this manner. So uh, we see it, um, uh, the Chaldeans doing it to other people, but we see this in, within Israel as well. Uh, founding of a, a city, of a civilization on the exploitation of others. And notice um, the, the end of these, that the people's labor merely for fire. We get, again, if we're here, we, if we're turning to um, wisdom literature, we wouldn't be flipping back to Proverbs. This is a little more Ecclesiastes. Uh, the nations weary themselves for nothing. And the word we sometimes translate vanity um, is the root there, that word nothing. So we have this, yes, they're building these magnificent things to display their wealth, to display their power, but they're going to be destroyed. They're ultimately vain and empty. Um, O. Palmer Robertson said this about this verse, Every human culture in its turn prides itself in its achievements, won by discipline, devotion, and hard labor. But But in the end, the rotten core of violence done against other human beings, ironically for the sake of achieving humanistic goals, shall be exposed and the whole of the corrupted metropolis destroyed. So there, you know, you think of how many civilizations that have been built with this, oh, it's for the extension of, of learning, the extension of knowledge, but it involves the exploitation of other people. It's violence against humanity is being done in the name of humanism. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why, to me, um, sort of thinking of what books of the Bible are the hardest, that's why the book of Joshua is the hardest for me. Um, uh, uh, good grief, how to answer this in a short period of time. Um, and I, you know, I, I struggle with this because, I, again, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a satisfactory answer because I don't think I've completely satisfied myself with an answer. But there, I think, the way I usually answer it to myself is there... Um, Israel is being given explicit um, instructions for the judgment. Uh, God is filling them in on the fact that they are, are instruments and, and, and judging these people. And there are restrictions placed upon them. And as we look in Joshua and see all the times that, um, that are... One of the ways, they, many ways, they go wrong in the book is they take plunder for themselves. Things they're supposed to destroy, they keep it for themselves. That's when we see them doing what these other nations are doing. Um, they are destroying these Canaanites for their own selfish gain. 
rather than judging them or being the instruments of God's judgment to destroy these people for the glory of God, which would involve them, which is why, again, you know, we, we see it as extremely excessive and wasteful. I think it's um, putting forth a contrast of what's different about this conquest and other conquests. Yes, Israel's getting land, but they're not supposed to get um, all these other these other people's possessions. They're supposed to destroy those entirely um, because it's not for their it's not for the plunder. It's not for them to be plunderers. Um, it's for them to be heirs to the promise um, and executors of God's justice. Now, again, um, this this is an area I really wrestle with. torture specifically, we definitely see violence commanded. And we see violence not commanded. (laughs) And that's what um, makes it difficult for us, because it becomes hard for us to draw the the line of what violence is accepted and what's not. Um, Bill? Yeah, and part of that purity... Yeah, because if you, if you, you know, what are your motives in in carrying out the destruction of these cities? Are you doing it because God told you to do it? Or are you doing it because hey, <laughs> new couch, <laughs> new house, new trinkets to to, to brighten up the uh, the old um, the old domicile? So I, I you know, I think. Because we're not just getting to the physical action, but what's the what's the the purpose? Um, and is the purpose again to go to Alicia's question? Um, the the command there is, is is for them to carry out God's instructions uh, faithfully, not for them to augment self. And this this idea again with these woes, we're really seeing an attack on that that selfishness, um, on the arrogance of that selfishness, 
And notice um, in verse 14, um, some people think verse 14 doesn't belong. So, you know, higher critical scholars will say, here's the place where the Old Testament's been adulterated. We've got verse 14 stuck in there. It just doesn't fit. And I think it fits exactly. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Um, We get similar statements like this in other places in the Old Testament. Um, We don't have to turn there because we're sort of running short. But um, Numbers 14, verses 21 to 23. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. So here we have that statement of God's glory filling the earth, coupled with this um, pronouncement of, of judgment upon those unfaithful Israelites who rebelled against him in the wilderness. Another instance, um, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 Uh, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So here, um, in both those cases, we have a similar use of these words that um, human wickedness, human depravity, and especially depravity uh, um, of those against other men and women, cannot stand in the presence of of the glory of God. God's glory is the surety for these people, uh, for these actions disappearing from the earth. Alright, um, quickly, uh, let's look at these, the last two. Um, I don't have quite as much to say, though, so I think we can knock them out. Uh, of course, here I am. Yeah, we don't need to pay attention to these verses of the Bible. Just skim over them. Um, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourselves and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So what, do we, um, what characteristic do we see um, being uh, condemned here? What woe, what is woe falling? And... Yeah, this kind of immorality, this um, who makes his neighbors drink, um, that sort of, we saw this in Amos, uh, you know, those who force the Nazarites to drink. Um, we actually see it, uh, uh, you know, why are they doing this? To defraud them, to mock them, you know, to think of people, um, again, I've been thinking about this in the context of American history, to think of all sort of... Um, Frontier trading and how alcohol was used with trade with Native Americans, um, both as a product that they desired, but also, well, you know, we can, it's easier to defraud them when they're drunk, we can mock them, make fun of them. It's that kind, uh, I think, of employing of, of, of drink. 
uh, to shame, to to um, shame other people, and that's that sense in order to gaze at their nakedness, um, in order to bring shame upon them. And again, notice the irony of the judgment: you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Uh, and notice again the irony. So woe to him who makes his neighbors drink, and now in in the judgment, drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. And what are they drinking from? They're drinking from the cup, and the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. So we have this empire that's exalted itself, it's glorying in its own achievements, it's mocking and, and committing shameful, immoral acts against other people. For their to glorify themselves, so it's this sort of um, uh, we're going to to shame them in order to you know, exalt ourselves, and so their glory will end up again, ironically, being their shame. Other things on um, we might we'll save the last blow for next week. I'm not going to rush. Who am I to run through these? But any other, anything else that strikes you about this last one in verses 15 through 17? So, I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, uh, this is one of those places, um, you, know, you know, we turn to when we're thinking about what's going on with, with Noah and his sons. You know, they got him drunk. They gazed upon his nakedness. Um, here's, we, you know, sometimes you see that uh, noatic passage interpreted as explicitly sexual here it, it doesn't seem to be um, uh, um, it's it's not um, sexual immorality so much that's being employed here but that general sort of shame um, exploitation um, so the violence done to Lebanon and uh, what I think is, is being referred to is, so Lebanon is known for its trees, and those trees, uh, and you, know, you think of a forested animal, again, to sort of think uh, ecologically how you know, a, a strong forest supports a vibrant animal, animal life, and they're not just destroying people, but they're destroying the land. And they're being judged for that. So they've come in, they've cleared these forests for their siege towers, for their instruments of war, and in so doing, um, uh, doing violence to the animals that inhabit that. And then the irony is um, the, the beast who destroyed will then in turn terrify you. Yeah, uh, you know, the, and we see it again, the, you know, so many ways we see sort of similar activities taking place. You know, wide sale, just let's just burn the forest so we can start growing things on it. You know, that sort of, you know, we're not doing it because, um, not so much because it makes um, long-term sense, but it brings me the quickest immediate financial gain. So that's the way we're going to do it. So I'm glad you pointed us that to that, Andy, because it is interesting that he slips. I mean, because we've got um, sins on a multitude of levels here. We've got sins um, 
against people being plundered. We've got sins against um, exploitation of laborers. Um, we've got, um, uh, and here we've got that sort of ecological sin. And then the fifth woe addresses sin against God. The, the woe upon these people who create idols, um, worship things out of wood, stone, and metal. Yeah, and it's a witness against them. All right, well, let me uh, close us uh, our time in prayer. Oh, gracious God, as we hear these woes that you uh, directed toward that empire of the Chaldees, we see our own uh, culture in. We see uh, our own world reflected in these words. The, the same types of exploitation, the same types of destruction, the same types of self-augmentation and self-seeking fill our world just as it filled that one. So, Lord God, we uh, stand knowing that we are part of cities and civilizations that have done and do woeful things. We stand among those deserving to be judged. So we are so grateful that the judgment, the sentence that we so rightfully deserve is laid on the one who clothes us with his righteousness. By his stripes we are healed. Lord God, we ask that you would uh, help us to see all the ways we act to augment self. And that you would convict us of those ways and make us a people who seek to obey you and who seek to see the knowledge of your glory spread throughout the earth. We ask it by the power of he who inhabits us. By your Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.